Hallelujah. Thank you, Tim, for leading us into God's presence. We rejoice to connect to our God, and we're again praying for each of us, each of you, to connect with the Lord in worship, in his presence, his spirit, as he descends wherever you are. And we also are praying for God's connection to one another. So be sure to check out SojournCampusChurch.org to find about more ways to connect together. So today, is man the measure of all things? This, of course, is the modern cry. And guess what? The Bible bluntly disagrees. Let's read the scriptures again. Jeremiah 17, 5. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He'll be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him, He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the streams. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. But there's a problem, verse 9. Which am I? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So pray with me a moment as we prepare for the word today. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would really open our hearts by your spirit to understand the two ways and how to stay securely on the right way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So who will you trust? Our passage today is out of Jeremiah 17, verses 1 to 18. And these are sayings of Jeremiah gathered together, really without historical context. The editor may be Jeremiah. It may be his scribe, Baruch. We know from the very own stories in Jeremiah that at times uh, his book was burned and destroyed, and so they had to re-put it back together again. Whoever put these oracles together, though, they did it around a definite theme. Who will you trust? And with that theme, there are clear tests to help us understand and discover who do I trust? A few other background notes here. The word for man in Hebrew, Gabor, is not a young man. It is a mature, often a mature fighting man, someone of age ready to participate in the army. So in other words, these are not the choices of a young man struggling to find his way, as mentioned in Proverbs and kind of figuring things out. These are the fixed choices and life direction of someone that is in their prime. And so... These are really two ways. But the problem we read in verse 9, both in Jeremiah's day and in our day, you know, in Jeremiah's day, you could conform to the temple sacrifices, make the offerings, uh, identify with the religious conservatives, and the implication is you could still be deceived. Well, that's similar to us. You can go to church Identify with religious conservatives or religious progressives, whatever you feel you are, and feel that you're on the right side, but you still could be deceived. The heart is deceitful, incurable. I can think I'm right with God. I can feel I'm right with God, but be deceived. So what's the solution? Verse 10 is the solution. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind 
to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Really, it's, it's almost a noun in Hebrew. I am the Lord who, who searches the heart and examines the mind. That's who God is. Oh, that's still kind of mysterious. But then he says, to reward a man, not according to the inmost thoughts, but according to his conduct and what his deeds deserve. And so what we see here is that God tests us and he rewards us on the basis of our ways and our deeds. So we can know where we stand with God based on the results in our lives, spiritually, emotionally, the results, the fruit from our lives tell us. So God tests us. So what are the tests? Well, the first test is pretty blunt again. Do you trust in money? Verse uh, 11, like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay is the man who gains riches by unjust means. When his life is half gone, they'll desert him. And in the end, he'll prove to be a fool. So that's a proverb, again, like a partridge, like a bird that tries to hatch eggs that were not the result of its own labor, literally. So is someone who gains riches by unjust means. It, it just won't last, right? There's no fruit in it. But really, even money gained honestly is not to be our trust. So how do we know whether money is our trust? And we look today, we're going to look briefly at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And there's some great advice along the same lines. Paul says in chapter 6, when I read these verses, don't think of millionaires. Think of really probably almost everyone in middle-class Minnesota. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. You hear the similarity? Which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Neither Jeremiah nor Paul are putting down wealth, but they're saying, you know what? You want some wealth that's going to last? Invest it in heaven. And so uh, Paul, uh, here Timothy, is pastoring the Ephesian church. So Paul's ultimately giving this message to the Ephesians. And so the Ephesians had some wealthy people. That's not evil. But he reminds us, just as the Jeremiah passage, don't put your hope in wealth, it's uncertain, but put your hope in God. And evidence of having our hope in God is being generous and willing to share. And I believe this is a word of wisdom to the North American church during COVID. I know there's some people in North America who are struggling and we should be generous with them. But talk to our friends with international connections or immigrants. Uh, there's tremendous need around the world right now and this is a chance for God's people to stand up and to demonstrate a sincere faith. You know, it's kind of funny in the Kruger household, um, the people have been very generous with us even during this time. And, you know, we're, we're fine. We're making it. Uh, but somebody gives us a little something extra. And I'll be honest, Kathy's ready to give it away. Who needs this Target gift card, right? I love that. I love that. That's, that's the heart. Jesus even said, 
make friends for yourselves with wealth and they'll greet you in internal habitations. What he's saying is, church, be wise in using your money to do good deeds where there are people in need and that will result ultimately in brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't buy people's faith, but you don't understand he's saying, be generous. Demonstrate God's generous heart. So the first test is, do you trust in money? The second test, God gives us another test, do you trust in other things? Now, the first part of the chapter, a little loosely connected, but it gets at this other issue. For Judah, it was idolatry. For us, it's not literal idolatry, but let's just read a little bit of this. Chapter 17, verses 1 to 4. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a diamond point on the tablets of their heart. He's saying it's really stuck in there, right? It's engraved deeply. And on the horns of their altars, the points of their altar where they uh, offered sacrifice, even their children remember their altars and Asherah poles. These are idolatrous poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain in the land and your wealth and all your treasures, I'll give away a splendor together with your high places because of the sin throughout your country. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I'll enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know, for you've kindled my anger, and it will burn forever. Now, there's an interesting thing here. If you know the book of Jeremiah, well, if you know the Bible well, you know that there is eternal promises, right? There's a promise to Abraham that his blessing will, his, his, his descendants will be blessed and be a blessing, and then there's an eternal promise to David that there will always be a, um, a king on his throne and his people have an eternal. But, but within those eternal promises, whether you participate in those promises in the case of as a child of Abraham or a child of David is a lot like the church. Right? You can be born into a Christian family. You can grow up in a Christian society. But whether you are part of that eternal inheritance, which will persist forever or not, depends on your choice. And so here they are making some terrible choices. And although they are part of an eternal covenant, they will not participate because they have become so fixed in an idolatrous worship, really a pretty corrupt worship, the Asherah poles were a, a fertility goddess. And uh, uh, it's just pretty gross. I'm not going to even go into it uh, today. But it just it was wrong. And because of that, that generation was not going to participate in the eternal promise to David. God's going to give away their wealth, and there was an eternal wrath. Well, what's an idol, though? We wouldn't do that. I mean, we really wouldn't. We wouldn't bow down in front of a statue and think it meant something spiritual. But when we think about the issue of idolatry, we have to understand that what an idol was supposed to do. So these idols were supposed to guarantee prosperity. That was why they worshiped them. That's why the Canaanites worshiped them. And that's why when Judah and Israel came into the Canaanite area, when they were compromised in their faith, they began to start trusting in these other things to make sure to guarantee the results they were looking for, which was a prosperous life. Well, I don't blame them for wanting a prosperous life. I'd rather have money than not have money. <laughs> I'd rather have food than not have food. I'd rather have, you know, a lot of fun and kids and, you know, than not, right? Uh, but are we trusting God for that? Or do we think we have something 
that can guarantee the results that we look for. And so here's where Americans fall into idolatry. We wouldn't literally bow down in front of an idol, but we might trust the stock market. You see people online and politically more worried about money than lives. It's not good. Do you trust in your savings? Maybe you're getting nervous about your savings right now, and that's understandable. We want your needs to be met. But are we trusting God or are we trusting our resources, our way of doing things, our plans? And so sometimes we put our trust in other things, although they are not literal idols. Now, how can we know? Maybe you think, well, gee, you know, I got savings and that's a good thing you said. So how do I know if I'm trusting in it? It's actually very easy. Verse 10 mentions tests. Verses 12 and 13 give us the results of the test. First of all, the positive. A glorious throne, exalted from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. The thinking of the temple, hallelujah. The kingdom of God, the rule of God, that's our hope. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. So when we're not trusting in him, what happens? He says, those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they've forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. If you follow the Jeremiah series, you're going to recognize this is not the only time Jeremiah has mentioned this. The glory of God, knowing the rule of God, knowing God himself, moving into his presence, living with him is, is like spiritually water. And he's our hope. But when we abandon that hope and we trust in other things, we become dust. We no longer have the living water. It's good to be prudent. It's good to work hard. It's good to save money. It's good to plan for the future. All these things are good. But when you hope in them, you know what? God in his mercy actually lets them dry up so that we understand that we're no longer trusting in the Lord, the spring of living water. And so when I'm trying to find life from other things in God's mercy, it doesn't work. When I find myself dry, I ask myself, what am I hoping in today? Am I hoping in perfect kids? secure life, or maybe having the second half of my life be easier than the first half. <laughs> That's not an eternal hope. It's not going to work. There's really, and it, this is where life is interesting. It's like, there's, there's sort of a knife edge of faith. You think, well, I'm going to get beyond this stuff. No, you never get beyond it. There is, I'm either putting my hope in the Lord or I'm getting dry because I'm putting my hope. It takes a while sometimes, but I'm putting my hope in other things. And again, God in his mercy, it just runs out and I'm pretty soon like, (laughs) I need a drink of water, right? Spiritually, Lord, I need your refreshment. What have I been doing, Lord? And so you dry up and then you say, and then I go to prayer. I say, Lord, I want to trust in you. I want to trust and hope in you. And then I find that spring of living water. Do you need a little water this morning? I encourage you, you catch yourself dry. Say, Lord, what's going on? I want to hope in you. I want to trust in you. And just feel free to move to that place of prayer. Say, Lord, draw me near to you. I don't want to trust in other things. So the second test is, am I trusting other things? Third test, 
if I'm trusting God, what does it look like? Is it all cheery and wonderful? Well, actually, Jeremiah is a realist. I love this. You read Jeremiah, there's no plastic saints. You know what I mean? You know what a plastic saint is, right? Those are the guys that uh, they, they have magnets on them and they fit right in your car, like St. Christopher, right? And they always smile because they're plastic. <laughs> they can't not smile, right? Francis of Assisi, you ever see him frowning? No, you know. But their real life wasn't that way. <laughs> no, Jeremiah is a real saint. He's a real believer in a tough circumstance. You know, think about this. Part of the challenge that we have today, I feel this. I don't know if you feel this. I feel this. Apostasy is becoming common. Mixing Christianity with other things that are not biblical is becoming common. And people that maybe some of you grew up with and they are, they, they are, were Christians, they're getting mixed up. And you're like, what is going on? That's the kind of day Jeremiah lived in a day when it was hard to figure out what was going on because here he is, he's trusting God and people are yelling at him. Let's read it. Verse 14, he says, heal me, O God. First thing a real saint says in difficult times, heal me, O Lord, and I'll be healed. Save me and I'll be saved. And here's what's going on. Verse 15, they keep on saying to me, where's the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. You know, you've been prophesying for a few years. What's happening? You say all these bad things are going to happen. Hey, everything's great. What's wrong with you, Jeremiah? In spite of that, verse 16, he says, I have not run away from being your shepherd. You know I've not desired the day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. Let me pray something that, you know, maybe you don't understand this, but I do. He says, don't be a terror to me. You're my refuge in the day of disaster. Right? He's saying, God, I, I, you know, People are acting like I'm crazy. Don't you be a terror. And then he says something that's pretty intense. He says, let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. Let them be terrified, but keep me from terror. Bring on them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Does that seem harsh to you? Well, it is. Does hell seem harsh to you? It is. But it's right. Jeremiah is not calling down curses on some poor pagan that doesn't know any better and needs the gospel or the equivalent of the gospel in his day, the preaching of Yahweh. He's talking about those that are opposing the equivalent of the gospel in his day. And he's saying, Lord, demonstrate who's right here demonstrate. But notice the first thing he says, verse 14. He recognizes that although he has stood opposing evil courageously and very much alone, he recognizes he is not perfect. Either. Heal me, O Lord, and I'll be healed. Save me and I'll be saved. This is fantastic for godly believers today. You understand, if you really know the Lord deeply, that it's not that you are a perfect person. You know that I know that, right? And so in the midst of standing for truth, we still are saying, heal me, O Lord, and I'll be healed. Save me and I'll be saved. You're the one I praise. You're our hope. We're not pointing the finger negatively at anyone, right? But they're mocking him. When's this word going to be fulfilled? 
I've been saying Jesus is coming back my whole life. What do you mean? You know. But Jeremiah says what we need to say. I have not run away from being your shepherd. And I've not desired their day of despair, right? They're not, they're not, not seeking. You know what I've said, God. And that's what you need to say. Lord, I'm not running away from your call in my life, even when it's challenging. I'm not running away from what you want me to do and sharing love and truth with other people. And I'm not desiring that they encounter judgment. So keep that in mind when you read verse 18. But don't be a terror to me. <laughs> Sometimes you just wonder, you know, Lord, do I have this right? You're my refuge in the day of disaster. And there's the difference. I'm not putting my hope in idols. You're not putting your hope in idols. Our refuge is in the Lord. He's our safety. He's our place of life. You know, maybe you've served the Lord faithfully. You've gotten beat up. That's happened to me sometimes. Not often. We need to find God as our refuge. We need to recognize that even his body can wound. And then he says something, though, and understand that, again, in verse 18, he's talking about apostasy. Those that are actively opposing the truth. This is not just somebody that's made you mad, okay? <laughs> but he says, let my persecutors be put to shame. In other words, let the truth be revealed. In this time of confusion in our day, man, we want everybody to know the Lord, right? We want the people that are, are preaching confusion around, you know, uh, abortion and you know, gender identity and all, all the people, we want all of them to be saved, everybody to know the Lord. But we do want truth to come for the sake of the following generations. And so he's saying, bring truth, clarify who's speaking the truth. So am I trusting God? Well, you know, Jeremiah is really realistic here. I might not have a perfect life. And what have we said so far today? First, he says, don't trust money. Check. Good. Okay. Nope. Nope. <laughs> don't trust other things. Check. Okay. But he tells us then that trusting God in times of challenge is, is, can be trouble. It's a challenge, not a panacea. And notice what he says. He cries out for his own healing. He speaks truth and suffers for it. He cries out to know God as his refuge, and then he yearns for vindication. This is the life of the believer in the 21st century world. Have you felt these things? You are normal. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jeremiah grounds us in a realistic faith, true to real life, following God in a fallen world, in a compromised society, and in a confused church. Here is faith for the real world. No plastic saint, Jeremiah knows his struggle while battling with forces of apostasy. So how does this help us? No plastic saints. Be wise. Be thoughtful. But let's be vulnerable to one another. When we're hurting, when we're confused, when we're challenged. Be like Jeremiah is in this lament. Be real. And pray these laments. In other words, I think maybe especially in our 
kind of neighborhood theologically of Christianity. We, we like the we like the, okay, I'm going to pray in faith in Jesus' name and you're healed, and I believe that, and I do that. But we don't pray these kinds of prayers as much, <laughs> right? Where you say, Lord, what's going on? But they're all in the Bible. All these prayers are in the Bible. Let's pray the laments, and then let's trust that God will vindicate his church in the 21st century. The power of the gospel, the truth of the word of God, will be manifest. So the third test, am I trusting God? So let's read verses 9 and 10 again in conclusion here. There's the one who trusts uh, in man. And then actually verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. That's where the blessing is. The heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? But I, the Lord, search the heart, examine the mind, and reward a man according to his conduct and what his deeds deserve. So is humanity the measure of all things? I don't think so. No, the Lord is the measure of all things. There's two ways. Wealth and idols are tested and found wanting. The third is a little bit unresolved in Jeremiah. Trust in the Lord, right? He's clear. But it's not that everything will be fine. Those who trust unrighteous wealth are fools. Those who trust idols will dry up. Those who trust God are waiting. Let's be those who trust. What is the fruit of your deeds? We want to meet needs. We want to speak the truth. We want to find refuge in him. Would you pray with me? And if you have a Bible... I encourage you to open to Jeremiah 17, 14. We're going to begin with that prayer as we close in prayer today. Heal me, O Lord, and I'll be healed. Save me, and I'll be saved. For you're the one I praise. They keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it be fulfilled. But I've not run away from being your shepherd. You know I've not desired the day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. Don't be a terror to me. For you are my refuge in the day of disaster. So, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would open our souls. You would draw us near to you. We pray not for a perfect life, but we pray for your presence. We pray for intimate connection to you. We pray for the courage to continue to speak truth in love to trust you, and to do great deeds in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.